As the children exit, I hear some of them screaming they don't want to go. Let's go to the scripture this morning. We're in Mark chapter 1. We're going to read verses 29 through 31 in just a minute. This is part two of the miracle where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. We uh, find ourselves in a situation here where healing needs to take place and you would think Peter being a, a really uh, interesting guy with a big mouth, he speaks out of turn a lot. You wonder what kind of relationship he had with his mother-in-law. But obviously good enough to bring her up to Jesus and to believe for a miracle, amen. He said only in Adam and Eve had the perfect marriage because neither one of them had a mother-in-law. A man said one time, I haven't talked to my mother-in-law in three years because I don't like to interrupt her. So we could do mother-in-law jokes for a long time, but the truth is that so many of us are blessed with good mother-in-laws, amen. I have a wonderful mother-in-law. Unfortunately, she lives over 2,000 miles away. Some of you would think that's a praise report, but really it's not. We would love to have our in-laws closer, and Kim told me to say she has a great mother-in-law too. And so here's the situation where Jesus is doing a miracle. I'm going to read you verses 29 through 31. This miracle occurs in three of the Gospels, and Mark is the most detailed account with only three verses. Now, as you listen to this, it's three verses. It's just healing a fever, and we might think it's not a big deal or a big miracle, but as we unpack it, we realize there's so many gems in here. There's so many powerful implications. Father, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you for the miracles of Jesus that we get to enjoy and experience in the New Testament. Father, make them come alive to us. Father, make this come alive to us that we would not just hear about miracles, but have the faith to believe for miracles in our own lives, in our own homes, in our own marriages, in our own children, in our own communities, God. That is, you do miracles in us and through us. Jesus would be lifted high. We thank you for that in advance. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Matthew 1, 29. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. So very powerful, yet very simple, a brief explanation. The miracle happens in one verse, and he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. So this miracle is brief. It's a brief description, but there's a lot in here. We talked last week about the fact that these guys had the faith to believe that what Jesus could do in church could happen in their own homes, amen? They were coming from the synagogue. They were coming from the temple. Why were they coming from there? It wasn't just a special day. It wasn't a holiday. It wasn't because they had nothing else to do. It's because they frequented the house of God. And us as believers need to frequent the house of God. Amen. You're here in church on Sunday and you say, well, I made it this week. Praise God. We're supposed to be here uh, worshiping the Lord and giving him his place in our lives on the Sabbath. Why? Because miracles happen in church. And these guys believe not only could miracles happen in church, but we could bring them home with us. And they actually brought Jesus home with them. You know, when you leave today, please take Jesus with you. 
Don't leave him here. You say, well, I didn't know I brought him. If you're a born-again, blood-bought child of God filled with the Holy Spirit, you have Christ in you who's the hope of glory, amen? The reason it's awesome when we get together for worship, when we get together for church, is because we bring Jesus with us. It's not the building. It's not the chairs. It's not the music. It's not the comforts that we have here. It's not even the sound system or the projectors. It's that Christ is in us. So they brought Jesus home. They believed for a miracle in their own home, and they had the faith released in this situation. Now, this miracle begins as Jesus, you know, comes to her. And verse 31 is short, but there's, there's a lot going on. The miracle actually takes place when Jesus takes the sick woman by the hand. Now, I want you to hone in on the fact that she's laying there on a sick bed, She's, you know, she's got this fever. Obviously, it's serious enough to incapacitate her where she can't be up doing the normal routine of her day. How many, you know, when times when you're sick and in bed, you're just like, man, you can't get up. You can't do what you got to do. And I don't know, for men, it's really hard to get us to tap out. But finally, we go, all right, I'm down for the day. Could you imagine if Jesus walked into your room and grabbed you by the hand? What a moment this is for this woman. She's laying there. And she's hurting, and she's down for the count, yet Jesus walks right into her home, right into her bedroom, right up to the bed of her affliction, and he reaches out and he grabs her hand. Now, this was more than a formality. It's more than an anomaly. It is purposeful. It's significant, the fact that he takes her by the hand. I want to talk about three things that happen when someone takes your hand. The first thing is this. When someone takes your hand, a connection is made. When someone grabs your hand, you can feel uh, what's in them. You can feel their warmth. You can feel their pulse. Come on, there's a connection that's made just on a physiological level. But there's a deeper connection made than that. When someone grabs your hand, there, there's this connection that's made, and it's because of the power of touch. Did you ever have someone touch you, and you just felt the peace of God? Did you ever have someone touch you and just all the anxiety and all the stress and all the, the cares of the day just melted away because they touched you? Did you ever have someone hug you and just feel the peace of God? Come on. That's the power of touch. Now, on the flip side of the coin, did you ever have someone touch you and you're like, ah? Did you ever have someone touch you and your skin crawled? You know, you're like, ugh, don't touch me. What is that all about? That's the power of connection. You're feeling what's there. You're feeling what's in them. There is a connection that is made. Never underestimate the power of touch. When we touch someone as Christians, uh, in the scripture, the Bible talks about the laying on of hands, that a spiritual transfer can take place of anointing or spiritual virtue. As a young man coming up in the ministry, I've had leaders and elders lay hands on me and pray for me, and the power of touch made a connection in me, and there was actually a transfer of the anointing that empowered my life. Come on, if you've ever been touched by God through holy people, you know that connection. On the other hand, I've had people try to lay hands on me, and I'm like, don't touch me. I'm serious. I don't want what you got. I don't want that. Come on, it's just about getting real here at Full Gospel Center. There's a transfer that takes place when someone touches you. There's a transfer of 
anointing. There is about to be a transfer made in Jesus where healing virtue is going to come through Jesus and through the power of touch, he's going to heal this woman. Remember with the woman of issue of blood, she pushed through the crowd and she got up and she just caught the hem of Jesus's garment. What happened? There was a connection made there and through the power of touch, healing virtue came out of Jesus and healed her to the point where he stopped dead in the crowd and go, who touched me? Think about that. So here, as Jesus takes this woman's hand, this connection is made and healing virtue is about to flow through him into her. And in light of everything I just shared in part of this point, I want to tell you this. Be careful who you let touch you. Be careful who you sit under and listen to. Be careful who you link yourself to in business, in relationship, romantically. Oh, I'm dating this person, and they're not saved. It's missionary dating. I'm going to lead them to Jesus. Missionary dating doesn't work. They lead you away from Jesus nine times out of ten. Be careful who you let touch you. Be careful what you let touch you. There's power in touch. There's a connection that's made, and spiritual virtue is exchanged. Number two, the second thing that happens when someone takes your hand is when someone takes your hand, it communicates love and affection more easily. Anybody ever experienced love and affection? Because you got all quiet on me. Sure. My wife grabs my hand and, you know, she, you know, and, and, and she just touches me and I feel love and affection. And I wonder, did I forget to take out the garbage? No, I mean, you, you feel that connection, Amen. I don't know, does anybody remember married people when you first started dating, just the thrill of holding their hand over their <laughs> Come on, butterflies, just just exciting, right? Love and affection is communicated through touch. It's communicated by holding hands. Jesus holds her hand. Could you imagine? Here she is on a sickbed, and Jesus walks right into her room and touches her. Could you imagine the love that this woman felt, the love of God? Wow. You know what? You and I need Jesus to touch us. We, you say, well, shall I get sick so he shows up? No. But we need to reach out to him so he can touch us. Amen. You say, well, how did Jesus touch me? Put yourself in the right place at the right time. I want to encourage you this morning. You're in the house of God on the Lord's day. You're in the right place at the right time for Jesus to touch you. Amen. Reach out to him. Reach out to him for a touch. Maybe just throw your hands up and say, Lord, I need you to touch me. Maybe you'll get a hug from heaven that will change the whole complexion of your life. The power of touch. Jesus holds this woman's hand, and love and affection is communicated. Healing virtue is about to be released. And number three, the third thing that happens when someone takes our hand is this. Now they can lead us more effectively. You see, I want you to think of a child who places their hand in the hand of a parent while you're crossing a busy street. You know, once you have a hold of that child, now you can lead them as an adult. Come on. None of us would allow our child, our toddler, to cross a three-lane highway with us if we weren't connected to them. But once you grab that child's hand, now you can lead them effectively. Look, I had two boys growing up. They were savages. You had to hold on to them. I mean, they didn't stand still. I would never think about allowing my sons to cross a road when they were little, you know, without grabbing hold of them. And why was that? Because once you grab a hold of them, now you can lead them effectively. 
When Jesus reaches out and takes your hand, it's more than just to exchange the healing virtue. It's more than just to communicate love and affection. It's so that he can now lead you effectively. When he grabs your hand, don't fight it. Let him lead you. You know, what happens when you grab the hand of someone like Jesus, someone who's more capable than you, someone who's wiser than you? Well, now all that wisdom and capability can protect you from the dangers that lurk out there, from the pitfalls that lurk out there. You and I need to be very careful about walking our own way, uh, on our own strength, in our own agenda. We need to grab the hand of Jesus and let him lead us, amen? I don't know about you, but every time I do my own thing and go my own way, I wind up in trouble. (laughs) Not me, Pastor. I'm really smart. I'm really wise. I'm planning my own course. Yeah, it's going to go right over the cliff eventually, amen, because, listen, only Jesus is wise enough and capable enough to lead us through this life so that at the end of it, we fall into his arms for eternity, amen? So Jesus took the woman by the hand. He made a connection with her. He's about to exchange healing virtue from him into her. He's communicating love and affection to her. And now he's uh, able to lead her effectively to the place of healing that is about to take place in this woman's home. Now, I want to say something here. Yeah, the miracle started with touch. But if you look at the text, it kind of happens out of order a little bit. It says when he came to her, he raised her up. And then it says, taking her by the hand. So he took her by the hand, but for a very important reason, for a very singular reason. He grabbed her by the hand so that he could lift her up. And you say, you know, what's the significance of that? The significance is this. You know, we need to let Jesus lift us up when we're in a mess. We need to let Jesus lift us up when we're doing things in our own strength. We need to let it be Jesus who lifts us up and not our own grit, not our own determination, not our own pride that says, I I can do it myself. You know, there again, as parents raising children, you always get to the place when your little toddlers or your little babies, they get to that one day and you all remember it where they say, I do, I do it. You want to do something for them, I do it, I do it, push you away. And they do it, and you got to let them do it. Come on, you got to let them grow. You got to let them spread their wings, right? But in this case, you know, there are things that only Jesus can do for us that, you know, no, no matter what I do, doesn't work. So Jesus took this woman's hand for the express purpose of lifting her up. When Jesus connects with us, when we submit to his leading and, and allow him to take our hand, he will lift us up every time. That's what he does. Are you down for the count? Are you weary? Are you worn out? Are you in over your head? Let Jesus lift you up today, amen. You say, but I've had great faith and I've been able to do great things. Yet Peter walked on the water for a little while, but then he began to sink just a little bit, amen. You ever have some of those days where everything's going good and all of a sudden I'm sinking? Jesus reached out, grabbed Peter by the hand and put him back in the boat. Jesus connected with this woman so that he could lift her up. Jesus always lifts us up when we connect with him. Listen, the only group of people that is categorically disqualified by about being lifted up when Jesus touches them is are the proud. Think about this. Only pride disqualifies us. You say, what's the deal with pride? It's it's a common struggle for all of us. Just when you think you got it whipped, it comes back. Did you ever think, man, I'm doing pretty good. I'm humble, man. I'm, I'm more humble than I've ever been. I might be the most humble man on the... Oh, I blew it. 
you know, pride is sneaky. Pride sneaks up on us, amen? There was a pastor who, uh, you know, he was a very humble pastor, and they gave, the congregation awarded him a medallion that said the most humble pastor. And he was so thankful and so humble, but yet the next week he showed up wearing it, and they took it away from him. So pride is sneaky, and it sneaks up on us, and pride disqualifies us from, you know, being lifted up. Why? Because James 4, 6, and 7 says this. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he would flee from you. Listen, some of us are getting our butt kicked by the devil. Nothing's going right in our lives, and the more it goes the wrong way, the more proud we get, and the more we say, I'll fix it myself, or I'm not flowing with it. And and what God is waiting for us is to humble ourselves. Because pride will always bring the resistance of God. We need to change from this stance this just open up and let him amen jesus always lifts up the humble he always lifts up the broken he always lifts up the teachable he always lifts up the repentant so today if you need him to lift you up repent be teachable be broken and stand humble before him he never kicks us when we're down he never says i told you so he never abandons us and says well you're on your own now that's not Jesus. Woo. He grabs your hand and he lifts you up. But pride is the only thing that will short circuit that. And if we're struggling with pride today, I beg you in Jesus' name, let your pride go and humble yourself. You know, man's problem is that categorically we're always looking for something else to lift us up. Jesus says, I want to grab you. I want to take you by the hand. I want to lead you. I want to lift you up out of your mess, and I want to bless you. Just come to me. Be humble. But yet man says, no, 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 no. I I got this. I'll do it. We're like that little baby. I do. I do. I want that to be imprinted in your head so you feel how silly and immature it is when we do it before God. We look for other things to lift us up. And I want to say a couple things about this topic here. Number one, don't look for other people to lift you up. Now, many times other people do lift us up and thank God for encouragers and thank God for the word of God and thank God for, you know, all the exchanges we have as believers in the family of God that we encourage one another. Anyone thankful for the encouragement that you've received from other people? Amen. You know, some people say, I don't need encouragement. I don't need to add a boy. You're lying. We all do. I don't need a pat on the back. Well, quit patting yourself on the back and let someone else do it. Don't look to other people to lift you up. Now, many times they will, and that's great, and it's wonderful, but we shouldn't expect it, we shouldn't demand it, and we shouldn't look to people to do it. Listen, you know, if you're married, don't expect your spouse to always be able to lift you up, to pick you up. Oh, I had a hard day. You know, I'm going to come home, and everything's going to be great, my favorite meal. Maybe they had a hard day, too. You ever get home, and you had a hard day, and your spouse had a harder day? Oh. They're hoping you'd pick them up, and you're hoping they'd pick you up. Come on, I'm getting real in the house of God today. Amen. And then you start fighting with each other. Well, I needed you to pick me up. You you didn't pick me up, and now you can pick yourself up. And then all of a sudden, it all goes off the rails. Why is that? Because we're we're putting too much on a person. We're putting too much on another person. Jesus wants to lift us up. 
Oh, well, I wanted them to lift me up. That's right. I got a wedding ring. I am entitled to that. Don't look to people to lift you up, a spouse, a mentor, a friend. Sometimes they will, sometimes they do. It's beautiful and it's wonderful, but we've got to go to Jesus first and we can't put all that on people. And number two, don't expect external things to pick you up. People use all kind of things to give themselves a little pick-me-up. Come on, we live in the Red Bull generation, right? We just need a can of this. We just need caffeine and sugar. We need NOS fuel. I need rocket fuel. I need jet fuel. This will be my pick-me-up. We use food to pick us up. Come on. Some of us are the biggest comfort eaters. Amen. There ain't nothing that a, you know, a a pile of pancakes with syrup can't fix. Amen. Come on. Woo. Comfort food. (laughs) You know, (laughs) they have all all these categories they call comfort food, comfort this and comfort. They have shows on the the cooking network about comfort. If you're Italian, every food is comfort food. I just (laughs) eat, 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 eat. We eat, why? Because we expect that to pick us up. Don't expect a person to pick you up. Don't expect food. We use that. Come on. Some people pop pills. They drink too much alcohol. They do drugs. Well, I need this. I need this drug. I need this little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, and you know, now I can face my day. And in the end, those things are a big snare. Because the, if you use them to accomplish that purpose, you're going to need more and more and more until it doesn't work Then you're going to be caught in your despair with no solution because there's no pill, there's no drink, there's no person, there's no food that can lift us up the way that Jesus lifts us up. So we look to other people to lift us up. We look to uh, external things to lift us up. And I want to say one last category. We many times just try to lift ourselves up by ourselves. We're going to talk about this. Sometimes it's okay to encourage ourselves spiritually, and we're going to talk about that. But listen, you can't pick yourself up out of all the ditches you get into life. You can't, well, I'm just going to buy my bootstraps. I'm going to lift my, you know, I'm going to just do it with my grit and my determination. I'll lift myself up. I don't need any help. God, watch this. It's not possible at times to lift yourself up by yourself. My wife has a good sense of humor. She likes Chuck Norris jokes. <laughs> Very spiritual topic. Here, there, there's this one Chuck Norris joke. She's probably going to fall apart when I tell it that she finds particularly amusing. And it says, Chuck Norris is so strong that he can lift up a chair with one hand while he's sitting in it. Yeah, she lost it. Now, that's funny because it's physically impossible. It defies the laws of physics. Hello? Anybody thinking, oh, maybe he is that strong. He works out. No, you can't pick yourself. Look, try it at home. Try it right now. You're in a chair. It's impossible. That's why it's funny. Yet some of us act like it is possible that we're going to lift ourselves up by ourselves when we're in a spiritual mess. When we're in a ditch in life, when we're, look, and there's some things that only Jesus can lift you out of, amen. And the reason he lets you get in there is so you'd cry out to him and let you lift him out. We can't do it all by ourselves. You say, well, I got out of the last three. Yeah, and now the ditch is bigger because we didn't learn from the first three. Come on, please. I got to watch some Some of you go through some of these things. I got to watch myself at times. And it's just like, come on, we just need to humble ourselves and cry out to the Lord. You can't pick yourself up by yourself. You're not Chuck Norris. Stop trying to do that. 
He's a newsflash for all of God's people. There's some situations only Jesus can lift us up out of. Now, our world is completely self-centered, and that's why it's easy for us to buy into things like this, because it's all about self. Do you realize how massive the self-improvement industry is? If you go to a bookstore and you go to the self-improvement or the self-help section, it, it is massive these days. In fact, market research did a study, and they showed that the self-improvement uh, you know, kind of market here was netting, listen to this, $9.9 billion in 2016. And it's estimated that by 2022, the self-help area, in, you know, that's available out there is going to reach $13.2 billion. People spend billions to get information on how to lift themselves up. People spend billions getting books from gurus and, you know, all these people who are going to tell you, you know, how to fix yourself and how to make yourself better and how to lift yourself up. And the truth is that there are some things in life that only Jesus can lift us out of. So don't try to lift yourself up all by yourself. Now, I'm not suggesting that it's wrong at times to give yourself a spiritual pep talk. Come on, how many of you talk to yourselves out there? How many of you answer to yourself? Anybody argue with themselves? I do all of those things. Sometimes I have heated debates with myself. I wish I was kidding. I'm alone and I'm counseling myself. What would I tell somebody who brought me this problem? And I counsel myself on what I would say, and I'm like, I don't even like that. Why, do I, why would I say that? But there's times we have to give ourselves a spiritual pep talk. Now, there are certain things we can't do by ourselves, and, and we certainly need to grab the hand of Jesus, and we certainly need to be humble. But listen, David gave himself spiritual pep talks at times. In Psalm 42, 5, it says this, Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Why are you disquieted within me? Who's David talking to? He's talking to himself. He's talking to his own soul. We're a three-part being created in the image of God. We're body, soul, and spirit. David was in his body, and his soul was, you know, he's talking to his soul. He's talking to his spirit. He says, what's wrong with you? Why are you so, you know, anxious? Why are you so downcast? Why are you so discouraged? What was he doing? He's giving himself a spiritual pep talk. Look what he says here. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember thee from the land of the Jordan of the Hermonites from the hill of Mizar. So what is he saying here? He's saying, look, I'm going to remember what the Lord has done for me. I'm going to remember what the word of God promises me. I'm going to remember what Jesus accomplished on the cross for me. I'm going to speak to myself and encourage myself when I'm down. You know, we sing these songs in church, you know, I believe he's a wonder-working God. Do we believe? Do we, do, we, do we remember how good he's been to us, what he's done for us? But sometimes we need to remind ourselves when there's no one else there and give ourselves a spiritual pep talk. Sometimes we need to stir up the gifts that are in us. You know, Paul told Timothy, his protege, uh, who was going to be a pastor in the church when Paul was gone, he told him this in 2 Timothy 1.6, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So remember, we talked about the power of touch. 
Paul touched Timothy, literally laid hands on him, and gave him a spiritual impartation. There's a great example of how that works. Timothy's a young man. He's headed for the ministry. Paul lays hands on him, and there's a spiritual impartation. Now, Paul says to him, Timothy, stir up that gift that's in you, that came in you by the laying on of my hands. Why would he tell him that? Paul knew he wasn't going to be there all the time. Paul was headed towards Rome, towards execution, towards martyrdom. When Paul was gone, Timothy would have no mentor, but he'd have to stir himself up. He'd have to remind himself of what Paul taught him and what Paul transferred to him and what his commission was and how the Holy Spirit had called him. Come on, stir up the gifts. Sometimes you just got to stir it up a little bit, amen? You know, we know how to stir up other things, other desires in us. We, you know, we want to go look on, on the Internet, on Amazon, and do a little shopping. What does that do? You're stirring up all those. Well, I want this, and I want that. We know how to stir up those other areas. You know, do a little bit of this, and all of a sudden we get our shopping on. We got the shopping anointing. Every year, I, I'm a hunter. I love to go in the woods. Every year before season starts, I watch you know, the outdoor channel, I watch hunts, and I get all excited. I'm like, yeah, here we go. Woo, the freezer's full, Dan. Oh, we're eating good in the neighborhood. We know how to stir ourselves up in the natural. We need to learn to stir ourselves up spiritually. We need to learn to talk to ourselves like David did. What, why are you depressed? Why are you discouraged? Don't you know the God you serve? Don't you remember what he did for you? Don't you remember how he protected you from Saul and you judged the, the spears were thrown at you, but you survived and you hid out in caves, but you survived and I protect. Don't you remember? Stir up the gifts. Give yourself a spiritual pep talk. But in the end, know that it's Jesus that lifts you up. Don't walk in pride, walk in humility. Cry out for help when you're in trouble. Don't try and do it yourself. All these other substitutes will let you down, but Jesus will never let you down. Verse 31 captures the miracle part of the miracle. We would call this, you know, the miracle part of the miracle. It says here, and he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand. We figured all of that out. Here it is. And the fever left her, and she waited on them. Let's talk about the last part of verse 31 here. It says here in Mark that, you know, he kind of grabs her and the fever left her. It says in Luke that Jesus rebuked the fever. You know, Luke gives us a little more detail. So, you know, Jesus opened blind eyes. He healed the lame. He raised the dead. He healed lepers, the paralytics, all of that stuff. But he also takes the time to deal with a fever. And it shows us that he's concerned about the little things in our lives and the big things in our lives. And it says here that he rebuked the fever and it, that it left her. The bottom line is very simply this. Jesus touched her. Jesus lift her up, lifted her up, and she had an instant miracle. She was down for the count. Now she's up on her feet. She was healed. There's no better faith builder in our lives than a breakthrough. There's no better faith builder in our lives than an instant miracle. All of us have experienced them. All of us have had breakthroughs. I believe today in worship, uh, when Giovanna was encouraging us, that that was a moment where if we joined our faith with what was coming from the altar prophetically, that we could have a pivot point in our lives and find a breakthrough that tomorrow it's going to be different than it was today because God did something. Because Jesus showed up and he reached out for our hand and we grabbed it and that point of connection made a change in our lives. 
If you miss that during worship, grab it right now I, and just say, I believe he's a wonder-working God and that what's been going on in my life is going to change from here on out. There's going to be a pivot in my life. But there's no greater faith builder than, you know, an instant miracle or, or a breakthrough. And I want to encourage you, you know, when we started this series on miracles, we noted that there's basically two types of miracles that Jesus did. More often than not, he did instant miracles, but he also did some progressive ones. When God allows me, I'm going to preach on a progressive miracle he did with some of the lepers where he sent them off to go, you know, to a certain place and do a certain thing, and they were healed along the way. Some miracles are instant, some are progressive. You say, well, um, I would like to sign up for the instant miracle category. All of us would, man. Do it now. I want it now. Jesus, give me a microwave miracle. 30-second ding. Woo! But you know what? I got to be honest with you. Here's what I find out about the microwave miracles. You know, many times, we, it doesn't, it's not enough of a struggle for us to get out of the mess we got in, and we go right back to our mess. You know, but yet, yet times when we have to fight our way out, and it takes times, and there's disappointment, and there's setbacks, we learn not to go back to visit that thing again. We learn our lesson. Don't think that we go through things in life just because it's life or it's an anomaly or it's bad luck. God's using every situation in our lives to teach us, to train us, and to build our faith. So some miracles are instant, some are progressive. This was instant. He touched her. He rebuked the fever. She was out of the bed, on her feet, and she was healed. Now, I want you to not miss the big picture here. Jesus is doing more than just healing a woman with a fever in this miracle. He, remember, he's got four of his disciples in there with him. And what he's doing by doing this, by showing that what happens in the house of God can happen in your home, by showing who he is, that he could speak to a, a fever or a storm or the wind or he could curse a fig tree. He's building the faith of his disciples by this miracle. And I want to encourage you to understand this. Everything we go through, everything we see God do, every miracle we see, every breakthrough we get is designed to build our faith. These guys walked with Jesus. They slept next to him. They ate with him. They watched him cleanse lepers and open blind eyes and lay hands on crippled people who got up and leaped for joy. They saw it all with their own eyes. Yet they were still very slow to believe. And many times Jesus would... Say, the Bible said that he would upbraid them for their lack of faith. How long have you been with me? And you still, and then they're like, show us the Father. And he's like, are you kidding me? Me and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So many times Jesus was frustrated by their lack of faith, their lack of belief. And it's the human condition. We're slow to believe. We get a bad report from the doctor. We come to church. We get hands laid on us. We go back. It's a different report. The thing was there. Now it's gone. And sometimes people will go, oh, well, maybe it just went away. Oh, it's a coincidence. Or maybe, 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 maybe. Maybe God's word is true. Maybe when you lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Amen. Maybe God keeps his promises. Maybe we just need to believe. Maybe we should just stop singing about him being a wonder-working God and actually believe the word of God that says he is a wonder-working God and believe God for miracles in our lives. Come on this morning. I believe he's a wonder-working God. I believe he still does miracles. Such an incredible faith builder. The disciples saw so much, they struggled with their faith. But yet after, 
I want you to catch this. After the crucifixion and the resurrection, there was an upper room. And when they were in the upper room, the Holy Ghost fell upon them like tongues of fire, and they began to be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And listen to me, that same Peter who denied him, who ran away, who was a rockhead, turned into a pillar in the church. Why? Because once we're blood-bought and filled with Christ and filled with the Holy Ghost, things change in us, and we believe, and nobody can tell us not to believe. Amen. Look. Some of you mature saints, you've been around so long, you've seen so much. Nobody can tell you that it's not real. Nobody can tell you that Jesus doesn't do that. Listen, it doesn't matter. Once we've seen and we believe, our faith is galvanized. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here with these four men who would eventually become pillars in the early church. I want to close with Peter's mother-in-law's response here. The response that she has to this miracle is both beautiful and inspiring. She celebrates her healing. She's on a sick bed. He grabs hold of her. He lifts her up. He rebukes the fever. She's healed. Immediately, her response is to serve them. Now, I want you to, I'm, I want you to see this here. You know, many of us, we, we're sick. You know, we, we, we're laying there for a while. We get some medicine. We get a bowl of chicken soup, you know, and then all of a sudden we're getting better, but we take it easy when we get better. Take it easy, they tell you, right? Because why? Some of us get up and we go right back to full blast and then we get sick again. I want, I want you to understand something. When Jesus heals you, there's no need to take it easy. There's no need to relax. There's no need to sit this one out. This woman gets off the bed and she gets right back to work. Now, some, now I preached this in first service and I said to some of the ladies, this would be depressing. Man, I was sick. Now I'm healed. Now I'm back to cooking in the kitchen. Come on, man. Let, Jesus, don't touch me. Just stay away from me. Let me rest a little bit. But this woman's response is an example to us, and it's a beautiful example. It's an inspiring example. She, show, she shows us, you know, the fact that when Jesus touches us and he heals us, the proper response is to serve him with a thankful heart. Now realize, she serves Jesus, and she serves the men there who had the faith to bring a miracle to her doorstep. She gets up and she waits on them. And she does it, why? Not because she's obligated, not because, you know, they're like, we're hungry. No, she does it out of a thankful heart. That you healed me, you restored me, you got me off of the bed of affliction. And with a thankful heart, I want to serve you with my life. Not tomorrow, not some other day, not when I pay off my bills, not when I graduate Bible school. I want to serve you right now, right here. We should serve him because of what he's done for us. With thankful hearts, we should serve him. He saved us from our many sins. We should serve him. He spared us from an eternity in hell. We should serve him. He protects us from the schemes of the enemy. We should serve him. He answers our prayers more than we know. We should serve him. He heals us spiritually physically, emotionally, mentally, we should serve him. He protects us from our own foolish choices and decisions. We should serve him. He pulls us off of the bed of affliction. He pulls us out of the ditches of despair. We should serve him with thankful hearts. We should serve him. When we serve Jesus, we should always check our motives because there are many people who serve but with wrong motives. 
Do you know you can serve with a wrong motive and there's no blessing attached to your service? Man, I don't know about you, but I'm, if I'm serving God, if I'm serving the kingdom of God, I don't want to forfeit my blessing because I got the wrong attitude. Well, I'm doing this because nobody else will. No reward. I'm doing this because I'm good at it. No reward. I'm doing this because it's spiritual. I like it. No reward. I'm doing this because I love Jesus. Whether I'm sitting there talking to a homeless man or I'm plunging the toilet, whatever I'm doing is because. We've got to check our motives. I'll close with this story. On a Western Airlines flight from San Francisco, fried chicken tycoon Colonel Harlan Sanders, 89, boarded the flight, connected with the people, greeted everyone, sat down with his cane in his seat, and went to sleep before the flight took off. In the back of the plane, as the plane was climbing into the air, a child began to shriek and scream, disrupting the whole cabin. Sanders overheard a stewardess tell another one helplessly, I've tried candy, books, games, and nothing helps. Colonel Sanders grabbed the stewardess and said, I must speak to this child. He rose to his feet, and with the aid of his cane, he shuffled his way to the back of the plane and found the sobbing child. The staff watched him shuffle down the aisle and shrugged and thought, well, what is he going to do? When Colonel Sanders came back after a short time, his charm had produced a minor miracle. Amazingly, the child stopped shrieking and sobbing and fell asleep in its mother's arms. Now you could hear the normal sounds of the flight, parts shuffling, newspapers, china, coffee being poured. The flight had returned to normal. The stewardess came to Sanders and said, oh, thank you so much for helping us, Colonel. And he said, oh, I didn't do it for you. I did it for the child. And he closed his eyes and he went back to sleep. You see, the right motive was not, let me shut this kid up because he's disrupting all the uptight people. Let me make this kid quiet because, you know, none of us can sleep and it's chaotic. No, the right heart was the child's scared. Maybe their ears hurt. There's something wrong. Let me see if I can help the child. The right motive goes such a long way. The right motive brings a blessing. The right motive brings the peace of God. And all that we do, let us do it with humility, with the right heart. Let us grab Jesus' hand and allow him to lead us and to do it with humble hearts and push every drop of pride away from us so that the blessing of being his can flow to us so the blessings attached to serving can flow to us and our lives can be enriched by the blessing of God. The right motive goes a long way. I want to encourage you today. You, you think, well, a small miracle, three verses, just a fever. Look at all that was in there for us to enjoy and explore. Father, I thank you today that you've taught us so much through you healing this woman who had a fever and, Father, she teaches us so much by a willingness to serve you with a thankful heart. You've been so good to us. You've been so gracious to us. While the enemy has planned and attempted to destroy us countless amount of times, you've preserved us and you've protected us and you're with us. So, Father, help us to follow your leading, to take your hand, to feel your touch, to enjoy the impartation of your Holy Spirit, to stir up the gifts that are in us, and to give ourselves that spiritual pep talk that mature Christians will reflexively trust you no matter what comes their way. Help us 
to get to that place, to your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise this morning.